just to give a quick recap, Nehemiah is uh, in a very prominent position in the, the court of King Artaxerxes, and uh, he has the opportunity on hearing disastrous news of the state of Jerusalem to intervene. We looked last week, Ash took us through chapter 2, where he took that opportunity. I thought it was really helpful the way he really brought to our thinking that this was that crisis moment, one of those crossroad moments uh, for Nehemiah. He was there, he had this burden on his mind, he couldn't hide the fact that he was sad, he was heartbroken at the state of Jerusalem, and yet at the same time that was a dangerous condition to be in, in the face of the king. At that moment he has the choice, do I keep quiet or do I speak up? And he spoke up. Uh, And the outcome was that God had gone before him, and God provided a remarkable way uh, for the people to motivate together and to commit to this astounding building project. Chapter 3, in a great sense, it's about the builders. It's about the work that's being done, uh, but we're going to dig a little bit deeper inevitably and look at what uh, is really happening there. At the same time, It's about a group of people, named individuals and people working with them, uh, who are committed to building something of of legacy, something of long-term significance, something of dramatic importance. Uh, And it makes me think, uh, it helps me to reflect on the world that we live in today, that that is very much part of our thinking, isn't it? In all sorts of different ways, people are seeking, we all do it in our own way, we are looking to have significance in life. Perhaps you're not, you might turn around and say, I'm not looking for significance. That might be because life has just got so big and so challenging that you think, I I can't do this, Uh, and there's almost a ducking out. In a sense, the reversion from looking to build something significant is speaking as much about the fact that we want our lives to have a purpose. I'm old enough to remember when Ronald Reagan was president of the United States. I thought it was really quite amusing when the um, uh, American people voted a cowboy as president. I thought that was quite amusing, but uh, I think Donald Trump is uh, an even more interesting (laughs) character. I kind of think, wow, yeah... um, I'm glad I'm living in the UK right now uh, and not faced with voting. Uh, What an interesting character, and yet what just pours out, it seems, out of every word, out of every statement, is he wants to create something of significance. He wants a name beyond this life. He wants something to be remembered for. And yet, remarkably, what we have is a group of people written down in this chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3, who by God's purpose and intent, their names have got a lasting heritage until Jesus returns. Isn't that amazing? There's names here that we still remember. We know nothing more about them other than they 
did some building on the wall in Jerusalem, and yet for the sake of God, and in the purpose and in the mind of God, that has an eternal statement that's being made and will remain with us until Jesus returns. From the days when they picked up their trowel and cement and the blocks of stone and did that building to 21st century Western Europe and until Jesus returns, their names are remembered. I think that's amazing. When Donald Trump is forgotten, these guys are still remembered. (laughs) There's something quite significant in that, isn't there? There's something which speaks, I guess, about trying to work out in our minds, where do I place my commitment to building? Where do I put my effort into? What is it that is significant for me and I'm going to commit my life to? One of the things that we've drawn out from the previous two chapters is that Nehemiah is in this really prominent Uh, position within the royal court, and yet at the same time, that is not his overwhelming priority. He has a vision beyond that. Day to day, tomorrow morning when we get up, uh, and for some of us it'll be a trip into the office or into into work or wherever we go, uh, and, and we inevitably feel as though that is the overwhelming something. It's the thing that pays the mortgage, it pays the bills, it puts food on the table, Uh, it's what we're doing in terms of our commitment to a career, etc., etc. That's great stuff. And yet at the same time, what Nehemiah had worked out is that that is not disconnected from my commitment to my pursuit of the God who I worship. And that actually takes precedent. When the chips were down, his commitment was to the building of the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. What a great example for us uh, as we pursue our next uh, few days. So the first thing that we see as we step into this chapter, uh, and there's a great big section with a whole load of other names that are unpronounceable in the middle bit that we didn't read. So it was a a tremendous effort reading through that, and, and we've actually made it easier. But what we see as we look at it is we see at the beginning of our reading, we see uh, Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. That's the starting point. At the end of the chapter, we come back to uh, between the room above the corner and the sheep gate the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. That's, That's helpful, isn't it? Because we start and we finish with the sheep gate. And the rest is about a journey around the wall of Jerusalem, giving us all of the uh, indications of who was involved in this project. It's an astounding project, an amazing project, a great number of people committed to it, committed to building this iconic city. And I guess straight away, we, in understanding that, we sit with a view of that city in one way or another. Nehemiah, we've already said, he he sees that city as significant. He's troubled, he's upset because the walls are broken down. It's troubling him. Why? Because he sees Jerusalem as the location of significance. And if Jerusalem is well, then the people of God are well. The statement of the kingdom of God is well. And when the city walls are broken down, 
and the state of the people of God and their commitment to their God is marked as being broken down. That's in his mind. This is iconic. This is me saying I'm committed to the well-being of the message of Yahweh in this world. At the same time, there is an outside perspective. We can pick that up from Ezra. If we remember our history, we have uh, Ezra who had gone before. He had rebuilt the temple. He'd done a lot of the building work in Jerusalem, but the walls had not been completed. Nehemiah comes along and he completes the walls. That's the second part of the history. But Ezra gives us a little insight into the, the attitude of the wider culture towards Jerusalem. There's a word that goes out from one of the opposition when Ezra's building, and it says this, the king should know that the people who came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. That was the attitude. It was a rebellious and wicked city in the minds of those who are outside. And yet it is the city which marks the goodness and the justice of God to those who are within. That's an interesting dynamic going on there, isn't it? And it continues because at the end of the previous chapter, we see that there is equally opposition to what Nehemiah is doing here. At the end of uh, chapter 2 and verse 19, we read this, but when Samballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, this is the work going on on the walls of Jerusalem, they mocked and ridiculed what is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebellious, rebelling against the king? You see that interesting word that's going on? If Jerusalem is being rebuilt, it's a mark of rebellion against the king, against political powers of this world. It's fascinating, isn't it? And the people who are building the wall are marked with that that implicit mocking threat. Humor's an interesting thing, isn't it? They were being mocked. Humor's an interesting thing. What makes it funny, what makes it painful, is that there is an element of truth to it. That, that, I mean, one of, one of, I think one of the great comics of our current era is Peter Kay. What a great comic. Why? Because he takes the ordinary and draws out of it those little quirky things that are incredibly northern England uh, and kind of points, shines a light on it uh, and points to the bizarre behavior. Why is it funny? Because there's something a little bit true about it. And one of those things that shouts out in the mocking words of these men is that the building of the wall is an indication of rebelling against the king. Now, Nehemiah knows that he's got the permission of the king, but the perception is that this is a, a statement of rebellion. Do you know, I think that, I, I think that the Christian faith in a strange way, carries on with that same problem. 
there is a, a recognition, I think, that, that when we commit ourselves to pursuing the Christian faith, from the New Testament right the way through until the present day, there is a way in which that is being culturally rebellious. And I think we need to face up to that because it's something that we really need to understand that coming to faith in Jesus Christ, pursuing Jesus Christ as Lord of all means that I am not pursuing the culture that I live in as Lord of all. The opportunities that this world gives as Lord of all the attitudes and the values and the things which we decide in our culture are of true value, I'm saying, do you know what? That is not what I'm pursuing. And that comes at a cost. It comes at that implied recognition that in pursuing Jesus Christ, there is an implied recognition that it is, in a sense, rebelling against the culture that we live in. Across the world, that occurs. For some, it is the, in some cultures in this world right now, it is just a simple mocking of the idea that there might be a creator behind this world rather than a, an evolutionary mistake. In other parts of the world, the pursuit of Jesus Christ is such a statement that it puts literally our life on the line. That is the reality. That is what pursuit of Jesus Christ, His kingdom, today adds up to. And in a sense, implicit in the threats of these men, and recognized by the builders as the statements rang out around them, is that we are building for something which is a statement against the priorities of the world that we live in. Why would we do that? Why would we build something which is a, a statement against the priorities of this world? The only reason to do that, the only reason for that to make sense, is if what we are pursuing is of far more importance than the goals that this world decides are important. That is the only reason. And one of the things that this, this chapter begins to point us towards is that there is an eternal significance in pursuing the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There is an eternal significance in pursuing the building of the city. And we'll see that as we continue. How do they respond in this threat? Well, the respond is, response is to answer them in faith. <laughs> I answered them, Nehemiah says, by saying, the God of heaven will give, you su will give us success. <laughs> the God of heaven will give us success. It's not dependent on how well we do, nor is it dependent on how well you attack us. The success of the work is in the hands of God. God will bring us success. 
We are his servants, we his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Nehemiah makes in that statement at the end of chapter 2 something which becomes significant as we see the builders who are rebuilding the wall in chapter 3. It makes a very clear statement that there are those who are building who are part of this, and there are those who are not building who are outside of this. You are not part of it. It's one of the interesting things that we see. Those who are identified by name throughout this chapter, they are named as being the builders. They are named as those who are part of it, those who are committed to it. And yet there is also those who are outside of it. And the same goes today. Exactly the same. There is a sense in which the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the established kingdom, remember we looked at it last uh, week before last where we saw that uh, what, what makes sense of this is the fact that Jesus said, you are the city, when he spoke to the church. He said, you are the city. What we are building now as a, as a city of God's people, the church of Jesus Christ, still has that dynamic of those who are inside and those who are outside. There is a part of belonging and there is a part of not belonging. We can belong, we do belong through Jesus Christ, and we don't belong, we're not part of, by not belonging to Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 makes the building analogy even clearer. Remember that At that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a great picture that is. It's saying, yes, there was a time when you couldn't be part of this building, if you aren't part of the heritage of Israel and, uh, and God's people, you couldn't be part of this building. And now it says, you, you've been brought into this citizenship through Jesus Christ. You've become part of this building, part of this project of construction. We see that that's what it is as we, as we enter into this new year with all of the question marks. What is it that we're about We are about building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what we are pursuing. That's what we are concerned about. We are not the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We are part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Committed to it. Built together. Knit together. And that plays right into what we see in in this chapter. One of the fascinating things that we see... Uh, We didn't read them all, but there are 41 sections to the building of Jerusalem mentioned in chapter 3. 41 groups, 41 names, different people who are all part of the construction of this city wall, securing the building. Uh, We actually saw, by name, there were some of them who were not committed to it. What a tragedy those who were part of it, and yet they were not committed to it. Imagine the idea 
that alongside all of those names who were committed to the project, there is also an eternal recognition that there were some who were not committed to it. That's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Identified for all of eternity as those who were not committed to it. I pray to God that then reflection, they saw the error of their ways uh, and, and really got on board in the next phase. But one of the amazing things that we see in all of these 41 uh, different names and different people who are involved in the building of the project, we see this. There is diversity. All sorts of different people, different backgrounds, different experiences. And yet, they all came together. And they were all committed to this building project. All committed to this work. This work was bigger than their difference. This work was bigger than their individual pursuits of careers. Or their individual decisions of... One of the great things, I mean, apart from anything, this is just an incredible picture of leadership. One of the things that shouts out is we've got Nehemiah, who, who is recognized as being the one who builds the walls. Uh, and yet the reality is there's 41 names who build the walls. And 41 names are, if you like, figureheads of others within their family and their, their unit of connections who would have been with them involved in building the walls. This is a massive organizational structure committed to building the walls of Jerusalem. Some of you I know who are involved in the construction industry. I know Ant's involved in the construction industry. I mean, on site, is it, is it difficult at times to get everybody committed to the one project? Let, let's do this together. Let's be on the same side. Let's work with one sense of purpose and direction. And yet, what do we see here? A mass of people who are motivated outside of themselves, who are motivated outside of their own pursuit for the pursuit of one building, pursuit of the completion of this emblematic, iconic recognition of God's presence with His people. Jerusalem and its completion was bigger than their individual pursuits. That's incredibly important. Everyone counted and they built a heritage which was outside of them. Do you see the importance of that? They were committed to something. What they built, ultimately, was outside of them. Who are some of the great iconic names of past history? One of the great names, I guess, that we would pick up on would be John Lennon. I did a quick Google on John Lennon in the past few months. Somebody has described him in this way. Well, I knew John Lennon, and I liked him a lot. He was very kind and generous to me. A guy called Ray Connolly in the Daily Telegraph. Dominic Sandbrook, who's just done a documentary series on British culture, excellent little series, he said this. He was a cruel, greedy, selfish monster, a nasty piece of work who epitomized our age of self-obsession. <laughs> Hmm, couldn't really get much more different, could you? 
And I guess there's something in that. When we build a heritage which is all about us, our identity becomes the key thing. When we are committed to a building project which is outside of us, the pursuit of the glory of Jesus Christ, then the purpose and the objective and the identity is not rooted in us anymore. It is consistent. It is consistently about Him, not about my own little bit. What a temptation for each of these individuals to say, the building of this wall is all about my gate or my section of the wall. And the reality was the building is all about Jerusalem. It's about its completion. It's about God being with us. It's about everything being right in the kingdom of God. Oh, that we would learn the lesson of this great building project. And over the next months, as we work through our processes, we can say at the end of it, all of our pursuit was about the glory of Jesus Christ. It was not about me. It was about Him. What a great opportunity for us to replicate One of the other things in this picture of all of the significance of the different parties who played a part is that gates feature heavily. Gates still are significant in Jerusalem, the old city. But if you read it, you know if you read it to yourself at home, pronunciation doesn't matter. You You can make it up whatever you want and that's cool. Go home and read it. One of the fascinating things we see is that gates are significant in the building of the wall in Jerusalem. Gates are interesting things, aren't they? They allow access in, but they are also the statement of being inside or outside. They are whether I am in, they are whether I am out. They are also the place where the gates close And there is a true sense of being in or out. Gates are significant. There's also something I find fascinating about this. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, the Chronicles of Nehemiah is constructed. The book of Nehemiah is completed. And we have the story of the building of the wall. As we picked out the beginning of the end of the chapter, what's interesting is it starts and it ends at the Sheep Gate. Fascinating. It's an interesting gate, the Sheep Gate. It's the gate by which the sheep that were being brought in for sacrifice would be taken to the temple. In other words, in Nehemiah's, or in the constructor of the book of Nehemiah's pursuit of message. There is something in the way that he's structured the construction of the walls and the way he's drawn our attention. That in a sense, the building of the walls is all about the temple as well. Because the bringing in of the sheep through the sheep gate for the place of sacrifice is the pursuit of Jerusalem's identity. That's key. Jerusalem's identity 
is about the construction of the sacrificial system again. It's about making sure that there is a way for us to be forgiven before God again. When the temple is derelict and Ezra comes along and the temple is rebuilt, there is hope again because we can create this tangible method of forgiveness before God again. The sacrificial system is reestablished. All is well with the people of God. And Nehemiah re-emphasizes that by saying, and the sheep gate is the way in which that is drawing attention once again to the completion of this sacrificial system. It starts and it ends. The circle of Jerusalem starts and ends in chapter 3 with the sheep gate. Sacrificial systems, great again. And we say, in 21st century Yorkshire, we say, so what? Don't we? So what? Apart from that we've previously said that we're the city. So how does the city of Jerusalem become the statement that we are the city? Well, we read it earlier because we said that We have been, through Jesus Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. What has that got to do with the building of a wall? (laughs) Towards the end of the chapter 3, we read about the east gate. And we read about the sheep gate. Verse uh, 28, 29 says, Next to them Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him Shemaiah, son of Shagniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. The east gate. The east gate's fascinating. It's also called the golden gate. It's also called the gate of mercy. Fast forward. (laughs) I wish I could create the kind of movie idea of being having that scene there and then whizzing through time to a scene hundreds of years later. But that's exactly what these gates do for us. Because hundreds of years later, through the gate of mercy, comes Jesus riding on a donkey. What does he do when he gets through that gate? (laughs) He clears out the temple. It's what he does. Because what we've got is we've got Ezra building the temple, we've got Nehemiah building the walls, but it's not really quite right because it still relies on men and women to be good enough. And then the Son of God rides on a donkey through the east gate, and he makes the temple right once again. He prepares the temple once again, purifying it for what? For sacrifice. That's what Jesus does. He goes in through that gate, which is completed in Nehemiah chapter 3. He goes in through that gate, and he says, now let's make the temple ready for sacrifice. Which gate does sacrifice rely on? It relies on the sheep gate. 
And days later, Jesus exits through the sheep gate. As he carries his cross to Golgotha. I find that just amazing. I find it amazing that hundreds of years earlier, Nehemiah draws a picture of the city with the sheep gate beginning and ending with that gate. And then hundreds of years later, Jesus makes sense of it. And he says it does begin and end at the sheep gate. It does begin and end with sacrifice. It begins and ends when I make the temple ready for the great sacrifice. When I come into Jerusalem and I make it right again, and I purify the temple, and I prepare it, and then once I'm sacrificed, then the temple ends. Because the the temple curtain is ripped open, and it's as if this great, dynamic, dramatic statement says, it's done. Now there's a sacrifice. Now the work of Jerusalem is complete. And I'm the temple. And I'm the city. And you're the light of the city. And it's about being in me, not being in Jerusalem. If it was about being in Jerusalem, we'd all make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. But it's about being in Jesus. That's what makes the difference. Building the kingdom of Jesus in my life and in your life in these next few years that we've got, however long we have, who knows how long we've got, that is the pursuit of something of worth. What does it look like to build? Jesus said, do you know what? Even a cup of water is remembered in my kingdom. A cup cup of water that is given, is remembered, is of value, is of worth. I find that fascinating. I find that incredibly humbling as well. Because it tells me that, that the God of heaven values the tiny, tiny little things in the pursuit of his kingdom. And that none of them are forgotten. Isn't that amazing? A tiny little activity. These guys we remember because they built these gates and they prepared these pillars and they put these gates on them and God remembers them throughout time in His living Word and yet He remembers the tiny little commitments to the kingdom of heaven in our lives day by day. Here's the question as we conclude. Which are we pursuing? Are we pursuing in our day-to-day lives the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Or are we snatched away and we're pursuing the goals of this world?